Let's bow our heads in prayer together before we come to the word. Lord, as we come before you to learn from your word that you've given us, we are reminded that we are an inadequate people, uh, that apart from you now teaching us and guiding us and giving us clarity, uh, that we can learn nothing. Lord, we do thank you for your word, and we ask that you would teach us this morning from it, that you would help us to love you more because of what we see and what we hear, Lord, that you would cause us to praise you more and depend on you in a greater way in our lives. Lord, teach us now. Give us ears to hear. Lord, give us hearts to absorb this truth and give us lives that live it out. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. I'm excited to be opening the word of God with you today. I am not Pastor Eric. Uh, if you're new, my name is Michael Shera. I get to serve on staff here with Eric. And I'm excited to open the word of God with you. And I'm particularly glad for the passage of scripture that the Lord has for us. Today, we will be in Psalm 5. And you can open your Bibles there. We'll read from there in just a moment. I, I, I love the Psalms, and there are many reasons for this. But the thing that stands out most to me is the beauty of the Psalms. And the Psalms are beautiful because they're poetry. Uh, But more than that, I think they're beautiful because of the character of God, the perfections of God that they display to us as we read them. They reveal the beauty of God in his fullness. They take circumstances and emotions from the great and the joyful to the sorrowful and the despairing, and they continually bring them to God in praise, and in prayer, and rely on his character to give them hope. So as we behold God and his praise modeled for us, this morning, let's respond in praise and worship to an unfathomably great God. I think Psalm 5 is pretty timely for us in the phase we're in right now. There's so much in the world swirling around us. It's more than just germs in the air. Uh, We have so much instability, there's so much fear, there's panic, there's even despair and hopelessness. Will this pandemic ever end? Perhaps you're feeling these ways, and this would be natural. Uh, There are likely pressures and stresses that have presented themselves in your life that were not there two months ago. We are in what's called a pandemic, and it's impacted everyone. Perhaps you've lost your job or your pay has been cut. Uh, Others of you have lost family members in this time, whether from the sickness or not. And many of you, most of you, are becoming tired of the monotony and the frustrations of feeling stuck in place as you shelter in place. What's being revealed in us is that we are tempted to long for that which is temporal, not eternal. Uh, we are tempted to, to find our hope and some finality to this situation rather than looking to that which is unchanging and imperishable. So right now, what we need, what you and I need more than anything is for our hearts to be set on God. Uh, we need a place for our hope and our confidence to take root in. 
And Psalm 5 is a psalm of confidence written by David that illustrates for us in trials and persecution, we can come to God in prayer with confidence. Confidence that he will hear us, confidence in his character, and with confidence in where he will lead us. So let's turn to God's word now. If you would, open your copy of scripture and let's read Psalm 5 together. As we read, I want to remind you that the reading of God's word is the only perfect part of our worship this morning because his word is unchanging and inerrant and infallible. It's inspired by God. Psalm 5 says this, starting in verse 1. To the choir master for the flutes, a psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice, in the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you, and I watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. There is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out. For they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them. That those who love your name may exult in you. For you cover him. Uh, for you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. And this is God's word for us today. Have you ever been slandered? Has anyone ever attacked your character? and spoken falsely of you? If so, you know in part what David is facing during this time in his life. He is facing men who speak lives, who contain no truth, and whose words and actions even lead to death. But This psalm isn't just unique to David. It has bearing on us, because beneath the heading of Psalm 5, you'll see the inscription, which is really verse one in the Hebrew, it says, to the choir master uh, for the flutes, a psalm of David. Uh, so if you play the flute, if you're a flautist, the psalm's for you, but really it's for everybody uh, because this psalm was meant to be used in the corporate worship of God's temple. This psalm is for the people of God as they come together to worship him because the truth in it applies to you and me as we encounter struggle in our lives, as we encounter trial, and even in peaceful situations where we find ourselves lacking confidence. In Psalm, in Psalm 5, we see three 
reasons why you can come confidently to God in prayer in any circumstance. In verses one to three, we see this first reason that you can come confidently to God in prayer because you can call on God. You can call uh, on God, and this is true of all righteous people. All people who are believers, you can come confidently to entreat the Lord to hear your cry as you earnestly watch and pray. And this is a pattern in David's life. When he encounters trouble, he turns to the Lord. We see this in Psalm 5 in three parts. Uh, David asked the Lord first to consider his groaning. This word for groaning actually refers to David's inmost thoughts, uh, really a scarcely audible utterance. God even hears this. Do you know that God knows your very needs before you even utter them? We serve a great God, and David expects to hear for God to hear even his groaning. He asked the Lord to hear his silent, unuttered prayers. It's as if David has read Psalm, uh, Romans 8, 26 to 27, that tells believers how the Spirit helps us in our weakness. When we don't know what to pray, he intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. We have and serve a God who is near to his people. Uh, your inward groanings and longings that desperation you think only you can see and feel is no less important to God than uttered words. He listens. David's groanings soon erupt, though, into a cry. His groanings and unspoken thoughts uh, have now turned into a cry for help. This is a cry that comes from one in distress. This is directed towards an able deliverer, and helper, though. An injustice has occurred, and David needs redemption. I'm sure you've felt this way before. You have felt desperate. You have felt needy, and that you have nowhere to turn. David cries out to God in this moment of need, and so can you. Don't be afraid to cry out to God. You don't have to come to the Lord perfectly. You don't have to clean yourself up and tidy your hair and have perfect sentences laid out to come before God and ask him for help. You don't have to have perfect words. You can come as you are. You are no less heard by God when you cry in desperation and really aren't sure what to say. You just know what's wrong. There's no words yet. Uh, you can do this because we have a gracious and understanding God. So you can turn to him whenever you need him. We also see that David doesn't just ask the Lord to hear that which is just inside himself or, or, or to listen to his cry for help. But David comes to the Lord in disciplined prayer. And he prays first to his king and his God. Remember, David is the crowned king of Israel. Yet he recognizes that his position is one of lowliness compared to the king. David is appealing 
to the one who is creator and ultimate Lord of all being. He rules David's life and he rules yours and mine. David recognizes him as supreme judge and the administrator of all his affairs. This God who rules over our lives is the sovereign God who rules the universe. Uh, This is a powerful and this is a mighty God to pray to. The one who commands stars and galaxies commands your life. Our great God is mighty, yet he is person. So let's remember this in our prayers. The second thing we see about David praying is that he prays persistently. David approaches God and he's not satisfied with him merely knowing his inward struggle or hearing his cry for help. It's good that we come to God in prayer. It's good that he hears us in our weakness. We should take comfort in this. It's also good and humbly dependent of us, though, to entreat the Lord in proper prayer, to come to him and make known our inner struggle and longing with words. David's under stress. He urgently seeks the Lord, and this threefold form of request displays somewhat of a repeated nature. He groans, he cries, he prays. And we know that David prayed often to the Lord. His psalms are all prayers and praise to God. David actually wrote 70 psalms. That's nearly half of the 150 psalms we have in the Bible. And in these, he's often described as meditating on the Lord in his word day and night, as coming to the Lord in all times and all circumstances, to praise God, to cling to God cry for help. So David tells us that he plans to come before the Lord again in prayer as he has done so many times before. David, interestingly here, says, oh Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. Uh, In the morning I'm going to come to pray to you. And so it's almost as if he's asking the Lord to hear the prayer that he's going to pray tomorrow. He's praying for his prayers. I don't think I have ever done this. Uh, Have you ever prayed, Lord, tomorrow when I wake up and I pray to you once more, would you please hear me? Talk about persistency uh, in David's prayer life. Uh, Is this redundant for him to do? Uh, Is David doing something unnecessary here? I don't think so. I think that David is realizing his dependency on God. uh, And it leads him to resolve to come to him, to simply ask that he would hear him. He's declaring his dependency on God once more. And praise the Lord that we know he hears us. Uh, Christ has interceded for us, making God accessible to you and I. Uh, The Spirit prays for us, even that which we cannot find words for. Perhaps we can learn from David. Uh, Perhaps we can learn to pray even for our prayers, to humbly depend on God in everything. Lord, hear me when I pray to you. Let's be persistent in coming to the Lord in prayer.
David also prays to his king and his God expectantly. He says that he will prepare and he will watch. This word for prepare, if you're reading the ESV, it actually says, in the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you. But there's actually no object in the Hebrew for prepare. It doesn't have this word sacrifice. Just that I'm coming to prepare. And it's twofold. David is laying out a request to God to intercede He's presenting a case before God and asking him to help. But this term to prepare also means to lay out. And it's the word that would have been used of the priests as in the morning they laid out the wood on the altar for the morning sacrifice. And so just as the priests would have come before the Lord and laid out the sacrifice as an act of worship, so does David come before the Lord in prayer to worship him. Key here is not just that David prepares, but it's that I prepare and I watch. David is coming to God, praying, and he expectantly awaits an answer. A true faith is not contented to simply bring supplications to God, but true faith displays itself in an eager expectation of an answer from God. Do you approach God in these ways when you pray to him? How is it that you view your prayers? How is it that you view God when you pray to him? It might seem like a funny question, how do we view God? But I think it's important when we consider our prayers because sometimes we have a little bit of a silly view of God, don't we? It's almost as if we live down here in the real world on earth and God lives up in this cartoon-esque heaven. And just like a child loses their birthday balloon filled with helium, it floats into the air, uh, so do our prayers, we envision them sometimes, just floating up and floating up. And hopefully, perhaps, they'll land in some safe haven. But our prayers are different than this. We don't just hope that they reach God. This is not how prayer works. God is shown in Psalm 5 to be a God who listens intently to his people. This is amazing. I I hope you see this and you rejoice that the infinite would incline his ear to finite creatures and that he would stoop down to listen to the quiet murmurings of your heart. It immediately makes me think of Taylor and I's one-year-old son, Ezra. I would do absolutely anything for that boy, absolutely anything. And I love to hear his voice when he calls my name. I get home every day. Ezra's waiting for me on the balcony, waving to me, and he says, Dada. And there's rarely a word that comes out of his cute little mouth that I don't want to hear. Uh, even when Ezra is, is angry, even when he is frustrated, I turn to him, I hear him. I quickly want to meet his need. There's nothing he says that I don't delight in. His voice alone puts a smile on my face. Parents, just think of this for a moment. 
Think back to that, that tenderness, that love, that affection. There is a reason that God is described as a good father in scripture. Uh, Parents, your love for your child is a mere inkling. It's a small reflection of the vast love that God has for his children. So let us remember, your prayers matter to God. He hears you and he listens so intently. God answers prayer so we can wait expectantly for him to do just that. Even if God doesn't answer in a timely manner, in the way we want him to, we know that he will. It's that simple faith of a child in their parent. Ezra calls to me because he expects me to answer. He knows that I will not ignore his request. So God listens intently to you, his child. So we can come confidently to the Lord in prayer, in all circumstances of life, because we can call on God. He is a God who hears us. And the one who hears us is the one who rules not only over your life and my life, but over the whole universe. And it is this infinite God who is your God, who desires you to come to him continually. It's a God you can wait on expectantly. The second reason, moving on from verses one to three, that we can see that we can come to God in prayer, in all circumstances, it's because we have a God whose character you can trust. Come to God in prayer because you can trust his character. Uh, This is our second point. You can trust God's character. And we see this displayed in verses four through seven. The basis of David's prayer as he is being reviled and spoken evil of is the character of God. As liars attack him, he recounts uh, the character of God as justification for his petition to God. The thrust of these four verses is that David may be confident in his prayer for deliverance from the wicked because God has accepted him into his sanctuary. But God hates and banishes wickedness from his presence. So the first thing we see displayed here of God's character is in verses four through six, and we see that God is holy. The foundation for David's prayer begins with the holiness of God. It's God's set apart nature. It's even his righteous indignation against all those who revile him and those who love him. David prays like this. He appeals to the holiness of God and describes wicked people because he is a righteous man praying to a righteous God for protection from the unrighteous. If indeed God punishes evildoers, then David can pray confidently for deliverance. He can pray confidently for God to spare the righteous from the wicked. This is in fact the case because God is described as not delighting with wickedness, that wickedness and evil cannot even dwell with him, uh, that boastful people have no place to stand 
before him, even that he hates evildoers and that he despises, that he destroys and abhors liars and deceitful men. What we are seeing here is a picture of all that is opposite to God, all that seeks to defy his character and rail against it. There is no part of God that tolerates the way of wickedness. He is incompatible with sin. Uh, Evil can't even dwell with God. It can't be his guest. It can't be his guest for one minute uh, or one second. Evil is not welcome in God's house. God rejects sinners and evil entirely because they are incompatible with his holy and righteous nature. Let us not forget, this is God's good character. Perhaps you've noticed in these three verses, but just as David's groaning elevated uh, to a cry and then to proper prayer, so we see an elevation of David's description of God's attitude towards sin, and even the sin described. Moving from sin's incompatibility with God, we see that God destroys and abhors not only sin, but those who practice it. These men are are malicious, they're bloodthirsty, they're dangerous. The only hopeful thing David has to say in light of their iniquity is that God abhors them. Uh, this describes God's position against sin. And as David prays, his adversaries come to mind. And David is using this to distinguish himself from these sinners, reminding himself that if he is to be heard by God, then he must be different. And I think as David prays, The reason this escalates is because his awareness of his sin grows. A different psalmist in Psalm 66 would say, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But because he has not, God has surely listened and heard my voice in prayer. We take sin far too lightly. If we did not, we would not sin as often nor as grievously as we do. We must be holy. You must be holy for God opposes all that is not. The first step though towards holiness is seeing sin as God himself sees sin. Looking through his lenses turning to him in repentance. Do you see sin as God does? I'm not talking about sin in general. I'm not talking about other people's sin. I'm talking about your sin. Does your sin break you? Do you hate it? Be honest with yourself. Might you even love your sin? David models something for us that's very helpful. He shows us that a good way to measure how well we are praying is if while you pray, you are drawing closer to God or you're merely mouthing words. If you are drawing close to God, 
you will be increasingly sensitive to your sin because you are approaching a God who is so greater, uh, who is holy. So when we pray, we ought to feel a greater sense of our true inadequacy because of the greatness of the God who we come before. Let us humbly remember that we cannot plead our own merits before God. And this is what David uh, does as well. He, He doesn't come to God and say, see these wicked men, look at how good I am. Rather, David's appeal in verse seven uh, is God's love for him. And so we see God's holiness that David relies on, but his second facet of his character is we see God's love for sinners, uh, those sinners who are his children, who love his name. Uh, God is not for David because of David's own righteous deeds. David simply declares that he has been accepted by God's love. And this love for sinners is that which is open and offered to anyone who would trust in the Lord. You've heard this often from Pastor Eric, first as he preached through Jonah, and now even as we've been in the beginning of Mark. And it's so good for us to remember that God's love is our merit. David speaks of God's abundant, his steadfast love, Perhaps in your translation, it says his loving kindness. And this word describes God's covenant love, his faithful love, his promise-keeping love. It speaks of the abundant grace, uh, the love and mercy that God has for his children. In the Old Testament, God chose a people for himself. Uh, David could have confidence in God's love for him because he was a member of Israel. Uh, God sovereignly chose Abraham and gave him promises of land, of protection, and blessing that would be passed down to his descendants. This was only strengthened uh, in the Mosaic Covenant and clarified even in the Davidic Covenant, which highlights the promise of a Messianic king who will one day eternally and perfectly rule over the people of God. Uh, He will redeem them. So David's hope is found in the loyal love of God for his true people that, that he promised to David. David rested in the proven promises fulfilled by God and the future promises of redemption that he had given him. For you and I, on this side of the cross, we've been given an an even more complete revelation of God's grace and mercy to us. Because the perfect Messiah has come, we too can find hope in the promises of God as partakers in a new covenant uh, that was initiated by the death and resurrection of Christ. Uh, Christ came to the earth being both fully God and fully man, and he did this to live a perfect life on our behalf. He came so that he might redeem all who trust in him. And he did this by dying on the cross for the penalty, the wages of sin for you and I and all who would trust in him. He satisfied the eternal wrath of God for sin on the cross, but he did not stay dead. Like we celebrated last week, he rose three days later. And in rising from the grave, he defeated sin and death. 
granting victory over sin and death to all who would trust in him for salvation. God's promise to you and I is that if we trust in Christ for our salvation, then his perfect righteousness, then his perfect life lived on our behalf is now credited to you. And your sin is placed on him. Uh, He pays the penalty and you get the reward. This is God's son. Uh, This is God himself who does this on your behalf. Can you think of a greater display of God's love, particularly for sinners? This is amazing that God would do this, that he would stoop down to reconcile to himself those who hate him. Because of this, we are declared righteous. And so just as David calls upon God's righteousness and loving kindness as his merit, so can we through Christ. But This is only true uh, for those that indeed are found in Christ, for those who have come to faith in him and trusted him for salvation. If you've not yet trusted Christ, uh, this loving kindness, this faithful love, is yet to be yours. Because outside of Christ, there is no redemption for sinners. There is no righteousness to be granted. Left on your own, left on our own, all mankind bears our eternal guilt for sin. And we will be eternally punished. But because of Christ, you need not to be left on your own. You can come to Christ right now today. This love, this faithful love and grace and mercy can be had by you. It can be yours. You need only to turn from your sin and to turn to Christ, trusting him in repentance and faith, and trusting him as the Lord of your life. There is no better time than now. Turn to Christ today and his forgiveness is yours. Today is the day of salvation. Christ calls to you and says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you are worried, if you are beaten down by this pandemic, if you fear death itself, turn to Christ and you will find peace. You will be lifted up by his love, and death no longer has dominion over you. But you must trust him. Trust him, and you too can know this great love, this immense, this unfathomable love that God has for sinners. It is a joy to be found in the love of God, and this is the reason that David can appeal to God to hear him. He can come to God not by his own merits, but because of God's love towards him. This is, as we read, David's basis for being able to come to him in his house, in the sanctuary. He can come to God in reverent worship at any point, and he can come to him in prayer at any point because God has shown him love. So because of God's holiness and because of God's hatred for sin, yet also because of God's great love, 
for sinners whom he redeems, David has come to God. And he's come before the Lord in confident and hopeful prayer. You too can come before the Lord confident and hopeful and trusting in his character. We ought to come to God in all circumstances. We should come to him in struggle, in trial, and in good times because we are able to call on him because he is near and hears us. He's a God whose character we can rely on. So trust his character. Rejoice that his holiness means evil will not last forever. Find the basis of your merit before God and his great love displayed through Christ. We've seen these things that we can call on God and that we can trust in his character. And the last thing displayed to us in Psalm 3, the last reason that you can come confidently to God in prayer is because you can rejoice in his leading. We see this in verses 8 through 12. The thrust of this final portion of Psalm 5 is that those who belong to a God who hates wickedness can anticipate a joyful deliverance from God as they pray for divine guidance uh, for themselves and even as they pray for judgment on their enemies. In this portion, in this portion of Psalm 5, we find great hope. We find great reason to rejoice, but we also encounter one of the trickier pieces of Old Testament scripture. We, we encounter what's called an imprecatory prayer. So let's dive in here and let's see how we can rejoice in the Lord leading us through trial. Everything up until now, verses one through seven, has just been building up to this point because this is the point that David actually makes a request of God and says, Lord, help me in this specific way. And his request first is for divine guidance. David asks that the Lord would lead him in righteousness and make his way straight. He's asking the Lord to guide him. And the guidance that he asks for is centered on the righteousness of God. He's calling upon the Lord for righteousness that mirrors God's own righteousness. He needs this direction. Uh, He needs his way to be free from hindrances and temptations. He's asking for both moral purity and God to give him a life of safety. He needs this because wicked men who are destructive and deceitful, as we're told in verse 9, they're attacking him. They're untrustworthy. Nothing they say can be counted on. Their plan is to destroy the righteous no matter what they need to say. And their speech leads to death and ruined lives. Their throat's an open grave. They are those who lie and wait and watch for a time to pounce, to trample, to destroy God's righteous people. David is bowed before the Lord and he says, God, I need you to empower me to live a life that is godly, uh, that matches your will for me and your character. Give me purity. Uh, Give me fortitude to endure faithfully when I'm attacked. We too should model this kind of praying in our lives. Uh, Think of where the Lord has placed you right now in life. Do you need the Lord's righteousness? 
Do you need the Lord to give you safety? Uh, Do you need God to help you faithfully endure? If so, then ask God. Come to him, model what David models, and rely on him to provide a clear path and a faithful life. Trust God. You can ask God for this. Uh, So often, we feel like we have to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, that we have to do this, that we have to buckle in, and we have to endure this, and we just have to grit our teeth through it. We need to let someone who is greater than us lead us. And we need to humbly and confidently and faithfully follow his guidance. Let's not do this on our own. It's after David's prayer for guidance in verses 8 and 9 that we encounter something that might make you uncomfortable. In verse 9, David describes his adversaries. But in verse 10, He prays an imprecatory prayer upon them. Perhaps you're not familiar with this kind of prayer, uh, but an imprecatory prayer is like a curse. It is calling upon God to produce punishment and judgment, typically on one's enemy. It's uncomfortable for us as New Testament believers because it creates a tension. Uh, We're told, after all, by Jesus to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us. So as we look at this imprecatory prayer where David says, make them bear their guilt because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, God judge them. We need to ask ourselves, can we pray this way? Can you pray for the death and destruction of your enemies? How does this fit with our call to preach the gospel all people. So how do we reconcile these two things in Scripture? There's a few key things to consider. Uh, We need to know that imprecatory psalms are poetry. They use hyperbole and exaggerative language, especially when describing suffering. We also need to recognize imprecations expressing a longing for the vindication of God's righteousness, That, that what they're asking for is in fact in line with God's character and will really important is that we understand that David and the leader of Israel's who could pray these prayers are quite different than you and than me today. Israel was God's theocratic kingdom. It was his earthly kingdom ruled by a monarch, and David is this king. Israel was even told to wipe out peoples and take over the land that God had promised them and given them. So Israel had enemies, and because of Israel's position, those enemies were, in fact, God's enemies. So when David has enemies as king over Israel, they are God's enemies himself. So it's right and within God's will for David to pray this way as an Israelite, as the leader of Israel, as God's chosen people representing him as kingdom. I think we can find hope in imprecatory prayers uh, because they're prophetic pictures of the ultimate end of God's dealing uh, with sin and with evil. Uh, Righteousness will reign in the end. The true king, who is God, will be victorious. 
most importantly, when we come to imprecatory prayers, we need to remember that Christian prayer looks altogether different. We pray uh, for the Lord to come and his will to be done, and surely within this, judgment on the wicked is included. But as Christians, we are not a country with a geographical leader, uh, with enemies, and with our own territory. Rather, we are a spiritual enterprise. We advance by the preaching of the gospel even to our enemies and by God reconciling sinners to himself. So when you and I pray, we ought to pray as Christ instructed. Let's pray for those who persecute us, that they would understand their sin and turn to Christ. Uh, Though evil exists, uh, we can pray generally against it and say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Bring your people home and gather many to yourself. So we've seen that David asks the Lord to lead him. And he even asks the Lord to go before him, pronouncing judgment upon his enemies. But in closing, David reminds us of the great joy that there is to be found in the Lord leading. For he leads his followers in protection, and they can expect eternal joy from him. Uh, We see this in the last two verses, 11 and 12. And this is the ultimate reason that we can rejoice in God's leading. Those who seek refuge in God, who are recipients of his loyal and faithful and gracious love, can depend on him. You can trust him to lead you and protect you in all circumstances. Uh, Why? Because he covers you with his wings of protection, and he gathers you to himself. The Lord God is described as shielding us, a shield that covers your whole entire being. And We need not fear anything in our mortal lives because Psalm 5 tells us there is an eternal hope. There is an everlasting, eternal joy that is found in God's protection and leading. So though you may suffer now, even in your hardship, you can sing for joy, as David describes, because you know the Lord watches over you. You know that no true harm can befall you and destroy you. God is described as blessing his children, uh, the righteous. And this is the foundation of our joy, that we serve a sovereign God who delights to lead us and protect us, provides us with eternal joy that will not fail, that does not run out. I love Psalm 5 because it tells us how to come confidently to God in prayer. It's illustrated for us that you can come to God in confidence, no matter what life may bring, because he is a God who is near, who hears your prayers and intently listens like a good father. You can wait expectantly to to hear from God. So call to God now. Bring your struggles before him. Run to him in your despair. He loves to listen to his children. He loves to answer your prayers. We've also seen that we can trust the character of God, that his holiness means that evil will not endure. 
and that the evil we face ultimately opposes his character and his plan. We know that God's love for sinners, uh, that his love for his people allows us to come to him in reverent worship, and that we need not look within ourselves for merit, but we can turn to God and we can turn to Christ. Lastly, Psalm 5 teaches us that we can rejoice in God's good leading because he leads and sustains us in righteousness. He empowers us to remain faithful in trial. He protects us, keeping us so that we might praise him joyfully now and rejoice in him for all of eternity. So let's put this into practice. Come to God anytime you need. Uh, Don't try to come perfectly. Come to him as you struggle. Come to him as you are desperate. And trust his character. Rely on how good he is. Rejoice. Rejoice in knowing that your king rules over the world and rules over your life and directs your steps. What a joy it is to come to a God like this, who is available, who loves us, and who protects us. Let's pray together. God, we are so thankful for this God, for for yourself that you've revealed to us in Psalm 5. Lord, help us humbly come before you in prayer. Uh, Let us uh, always do this. Help us come to you in our sorrows. Help us come to you in our joys. Help us come to you when we don't even know what to say. Lord, give us deep humility and reliance on you. And Lord, give us confidence because we can trust you. We can trust that you lead us and guide us towards eternal joy in your presence. Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us apply it to our lives this very week. Jesus' name. Just sing Jesus, thank you. The mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend. The agonies of Calvary. Perfect Holy One crushed your son, drank the bitter cup reserved for me. Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table, Jesus, thank
by your perfect sacrifice I've been brought near your enemy you've made your friend pouring out the riches of your glorious grace your mercy and your kindness know no end your blood has washed away my sin Jesus thank you the Father's wrath completely satisfied Jesus thank you once you're in me now seated at your table Jesus thank you lover of my soul wrath completely satisfied Jesus thank you once your enemy now seated at your table Jesus thank you your blood has washed away my sin Jesus thank you the father's wrath completely satisfied Jesus, thank you. Once you're in me, now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. Jesus, thank you. Jesus, Well, thank you for joining us for another Sunday. I think with every passing Sunday, it makes me long for the Sunday coming soon uh, that we'll be all back together. Until then, we want to do what we can to continue moving forward with the mission Christ has given us. There are some things we can't do, like gather together and growth groups, um, but there are some things we can do trying to move forward and continue uh, being obedient to the Great Commission. Uh, one of the things we're going to begin doing now this week is our evangelistic growth groups. The growth groups that we had going on uh, that we planned on reading uh, the book on evangelism together and discussing it and even praying about how the Lord might use us with our friends, family, and neighbors. Uh, so what we're going to be doing is sending out links to you this week for those groups. If you are uh, getting the emails, you'll get them, and I want to encourage you to jump into one of those groups. We'll have them Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, a group each one of those nights, and uh, you could join in. There will be um, a discussion around the topic of evangelism, prayer together, and we want uh, to move forward in that. We feel that this is a good time to keep on thinking about these opportunities to share Christ with family and neighbors. And so 
uh, let's, let's continue to think and pray that way. So be a part of our evangelistic growth groups coming up. If you've been tuning in to our live streams, but you don't, maybe you've never even come to our church, but you maybe want to start getting involved with some of this digital stuff we're talking about, uh, sign up for the email uh, that we have on our website at gracerancho.com, and we can uh, get you this information so that you can join us. Uh, last announcement, we had uh, back in uh, the beginning of this year, a big membership class go through the four weeks. And many of you have uh, wanted to move forward in membership, but have had to pause because of all the craziness. Uh, let me encourage you, continue to move forward with that. Fill out your application, and you could turn it into us uh, through email. You could scan it and send it in. And what we've been doing is interviewing members uh, or incoming members through Zoom. And so we would like to offer that to you if you're continuing to pursue membership to make that available to you. So get that application in and, and let's uh, move forward with the interview digitally as we are able to. We love you. Uh, we can't wait to actually be together again. Lord willing, that is soon. Until then, let's be faithful.